Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Work. Work. So basically a very brief background to me. Um, I started an agency, as I said, with Sharma six years ago. Um, we worked with Nike when Sharma was um, working with Nike as well and have built the business to a global agency now. We have offices in New York. Um, we work pan-European. Um, and I got told off recently when I was talking about this because I called it a happy accident. Um, it wasn't a happy accident. There was a lot of work that went into building those businesses. But what helped was a lot of different people telling me and sharing information and me never being afraid to ask questions. So so a lot of what these processes are also about is not being afraid to change your mind, move really quickly and be really nimble. So the first thing that I'm going to just quickly give as a background is this idea of failure. So for me, success isn't defined by doing really great things. It's defined by being able to fail and pick yourself back up again. Um, every big brand in the world isn't just successful all the time and every person in the world isn't successful all the time. However incredible they might look from the outside. It's a level of perception. Um, Amazon, um, the best, most amazing brand, the most innovative brand, um, actually created a phone um, uh, which bombed and no one will probably even remember because it was terrible and it was a huge failure it cost them billions and billions of pounds and it doesn't matter because they drew a line under it really really quickly and moved on so being able to confront your failures and be accountable for what those failures mean within your business is really really important but also again using these different frameworks to understand why those failures happened and readdressing and saying to yourselves okay how can we move on quickly, both emotionally and practically? So that leads nicely on to being nimble. So again, where people kind of make the fatal error of having a very locked down vision of what they want this to be. And Lindsay, um, who spoke um, in the last kind of beginning of the session, talked about this idea of thinking about all of your different bits at the bottom but forgetting about your brand. You do need to think about your brand but you need to be ready and to evolve that in the same way as she evolved from you know, wanting to be Oprah Winfrey right the way through to creating kind of agency format. She was able to circumnavigate her own kind of drive and ambition with a need state against what her business propositions were all going to be and on paper that might look like a very kind of random mix of things but when she articulates it and she puts it together it makes total sense. So being 
being able to be nimble, bouncing back from failure and being confident in talking about that failure as well and being really open about it because I fail every day, whether it be wearing a jumpsuit when you need to go to the toilet really quickly or walking into a glass door in a meeting room full of people, which is an actual story that happened two weeks ago, or locking yourself in a meeting room full of board directors, also another story that actually happened, Uh, right the way through to making the wrong hire or, you know, taking on the wrong client and realizing the relationship isn't working out. You know, you have to be ready and aware of all of those things, but not let them create knocks. Just let them be part of your story because all of you guys are in the first chapter, your first, one of the first 100, but also in a chapter in your stories which are going to evolve over a period of time. So really embracing all of the positives and the negatives. Um, this is my favorite catchphrase and my, um, my team love it. Um, So one of the other reasons for doing things like Business Model Canvas is the reason that failure happens more often than not, and you can't account for everything, is because you don't identify risk. So risks are things that within your business are going to be counterintuitive to what you want to achieve. So that could be the fact that, you know, Brexit happened. Awkward. Let's not talk about it. Um, It could be things like where, you know, global economies change, where you have, you know, a customer base who actually start growing up. You know, the risks in your business are the biggest part of how you're going to be able to move quickly, but also move on with your next phase of business modeling when you come out of this kind of phase and understand where you go next. So never make assumptions. And if you are making assumptions, it's the biggest signifier that you need to drill down a little bit more into why you're making that assumption. So it's my biggest thing. If I hear in my office ever that someone said, but I assumed that that person would be doing their job, it is not my favorite. Um, So in terms of process, one of the other things, I guess, to frame the reason for doing these things is processes shouldn't be there because you've been told to have a process. Because the biggest risk to businesses is when you put all of these lovely things in a PowerPoint presentation and it sits in a folder on your desktop and no one ever opens it. That's not a process. That's a pain in the ass. So what you need to do is think about what is the kind of reason and the rationale for creating that output. So anything that you do as a process, your time is all money. So anything you do has to be efficient. So when you do something, you need to know what the output is and you need to know that it's going to help you move your business forward. So one of the reasons and the reason I love Business Canvas is that it's a physical thing. So you don't just kind of think about what you're going to put on a slide and sit in a dark room doing it. You actually write it down. And I would say to a lot of you as well, doing it with other people, don't just do it on your own. Um, I think one of the other things that can become very isolating when you're running a business is having all these great ideas in your head and not asking and talking to other people about it. We're all human beings. Interaction's a thing. It's great. Um, So again, just understanding what your outcomes of any process are. And for this, I think it's a really helpful tool to help segment where your businesses can go and what that business model could look like. So not to sound like a salesperson for Business Model Canvas, um, but it's very simple, it's very effective, and it's very nimble. Um, It does have a very kind of simple way of operating. And again, you can spend a day doing it with 5 million post-it notes, which is arguably what I do force my team to do every so often, um, and spend a whole day just working out each section and deep diving into it. Obviously, in this session, you have 40 minutes. So try to really think about how you prioritize. Um, I know I've met some of you guys before, and we were doing the um, user experience um, canvas. Try and think about three things. So the way your brain operates 
is it processes information in threes. Um, and so, nice fact. Uh, so essentially, when you're trying to optimize on time and you know that you want to have an output of something, try and think about things in threes. So each of the sections, if you only populate three things, that's actually winning. So, vision. Um, so your vision is your heart of your business. It doesn't tend to change. It can, but it doesn't tend to change. Um, I didn't want to be too leading in the vision workshop that I hosted, but um, the vision for Scene and my business is an agency for people by people with purpose. Um, so essentially, that vision is at the heart of everything that we evolve. So whether it be starting new agencies, which I do love to do, uh, whether it be content divisions, whether it be um, influencer agencies, but always having the idea of people-centric approaches is at the heart of everything that I do. I'm a bit obsessed with people in a very creepy way. Um, so what model um, does is it's your brain. So if you think about this in context, you've got the heart of your business, which stays the same, but your brain evolves, it changes. And your brain has a left side and it has a right side. And in terms of what that looks like from a science perspective, you have your left side, which is logic, and the right side, which is emotion. So essentially what you're doing, if you think about the business model canvas, and I'll obviously show you an example of what it is, you think about the idea of effectiveness and also value. So when you're thinking about how you're populating this, the left side of your canvas should be about effectiveness and the right side of the canvas should be about value. This is what it looks like. Um, that's a really blurry image, so actually not that helpful. Um, so basically, what I'm just going to do now is very quickly talk you through each of the sections. But again, as I said at the beginning, try and make sure when you're populating it, you're not thinking about all of the different things you could do. Try and refine it down to three things per section. So rather than take you through a scene example of how we do this, I thought I would take you through an example from a brand that we all know, which is the iPod. So this is a slightly clearer image image, but it gives you an example of what the iPod business canvas could look like. So as you can see, we're not trying to create an entire business strategy or a business plan. It's about compartmentalizing the information that you all have about your businesses into clear sections and quadrants so that you can make sense of them and how they all come together. So your key partners, which is this section here. So from an iPod perspective, their key partners were obviously the manufacturer, so the actual equipment and the kind of um, OEMs. The record companies, obviously, very important when you're dealing with the music industry. Your key activities from an iPod perspective are your hardware design, your marketing. So basically, how are you going to get your business from A to B? So what are the key things in terms of the activities you need to engage with to take yourself from zero to hero? There will be some things that bridge the gap. So in terms of partners and kind of activities, the kind of key thing for iPod is people. Very important for any business. I would argue that anyone in this room that doesn't have people on their business canvas is probably missing a trick. Um, content and agreements. Um, and then also just looking at kind of the other attributes that you need to think about in terms of key resources. So again, where things are clicking over, you've got key resources, which obviously iPod came from the Apple brand. So as a brand, Apple has a huge amount of heritage. Everyone understands what it is. So what do you guys have within your businesses, which are not just kind of mentors, but resources at your disposal? It might be that you've been in you know, the film industry for 10 years and you saw a gap in the market. What are the resources that are going to help you take your business to the next stage? Um, value propositions. So 
what is your USP? So most businesses try and have a key kind of area that they're owning in a market. Sometimes business models are literally based on replicating someone else's model, but for cheaper. Um, but what is your USP and what and where can that sit? So again, when thinking about the left and the right side of your brain, this is where the bridge starts to come from your kind of um, evaluation piece right the way through to your value. So you've then got your cost structures. Okay, so in terms of the cost structures, really super simple. What does your business need to pay for? So one of the challenges with an agency is this is a very expensive thing. Um, so again, if you have kind of digital businesses, people might be on your cost structures, but there might be other things in terms of supply chains. There might be things around productization. So just thinking about what are the things that you are going to have to pay for as a business to make sure that you've identified them and you know exactly where they're going to be coming from because they'll help you build a more robust system and back end as well. So for iPod, they also have, obviously have marketing, um, marketing and sales and manufacturing. So revenue streams are obviously very important because as I think right at the beginning of the day, someone said, your business, I think it was Layla, your business is only as good as what someone's willing to pay you to do it. So I started an agency and obviously an agency needs clients. So we were very lucky. We had a very clear gap in the market. We had a very clear proposition and we've worked with HBO, with Microsoft, Facebook and Instagram some of the biggest brands in the world but we also need to always understand where that revenue is coming from and actually be aware of where it potentially could be a risk as well so one of the areas that I think is really really important when you're thinking about what your revenue streams could be is what would be the risk to those revenue streams if one of them dropped out or if all of them dropped out customer segmentation so this is my favorite one so Basically, the iPod's for everyone. My favorite client brief, which is most client briefs, is we want to target the world. Okay, great. But my advice to you guys is try and think about who your customer segmentation is. So I do a lot of customer segmentation work, um, and I do a lot of stuff around, because I'm a little obsessed with people, around psychometrics, so the emotional triggers, like who your customer is from an age, a gender, and a kind of location perspective are all really interesting things. But actually... Who do you want to talk to? What's the personality of that person? Um, because if you can understand that your customer is a human being and a person, you're going to be able to tap into their kind of psyche, get onto the skin of what's going to motivate them to buy your product, engage with your service, or potentially you know, be a partner potentially down the line. Uh, customer relationships. So how you're defining your customer relationship. So as I said at the beginning, the vision for me with Seen is all around people-centric approach. So all of our clients have, we have very personal relationships to the point we've become very good friends often, um, which is great for my networking. Um, but also understanding what is going to be your kind of signifier as those customer relationships. So um, with Sharma, obviously in terms of WA, very close-knit relationship with all the WA girls. Like Sharma Dean actually contacts them and stays in touch with them and has this kind of very like simple dialogue. It's kind of mad and amazing. Um, for me, it's about kind of, you know, how we're going to be able to build brand relationships with the people that work in the brand. So again, how are you going about building those relationships? What are you going to stand for with that kind of relationship? Uh, so channels. So for an iPod, the key channels are Apple stores, obviously, retail, and obviously Apple.com. So 
if you have a digital business, where is your app going to be hosted? Like, is it going to be Android or is it going to be iOS and Android? Like, what are the things that you're thinking about in terms of the channels that you're creating for retail? But also, I think, to think about in this section is the channels for communication as well. So within your model, how are you telling people about your brand? Um, I was very lucky in that a lot of the promotion around the agency and how we've kind of grown has been word of mouth. That's arguably not the best model for promotion and certainly works very well from an agency perspective, but it doesn't necessarily work as well for a product proposition. So again, just thinking about how people are promoting your business, where they're going to be talking about it. So what these different sections are, are building blocks for you to be able to understand how all these different things fit together. But also, again, as I said at the beginning, you have all this information in your head. You just need to know from the information you've got what's going to be the most important, most relevant, and where it needs to sit. And when that's on a piece of paper in front of you, things start to come together. And I think when you kind of think about the user experience, the business model, your vision, and all these different components, what you do and what you decide to do with those bits of paper and take them away and put them maybe into a PowerPoint presentation or just stick them on your wall is going to help you motivate and drive whatever your next phase of business is. Work. Work. Uh, anyway, so, okay, I'm Perry. Uh, um, as you said, thank you very much for the introduction. Uh, Mastered is a creative uh, talent development company. So um, I'm not going to really tell you too much about what we do because actually what we do uh, is kind of explained by the story. Um, I was asked to talk to you about like this, obviously why we chose our business model. But actually in, in telling you what we do now, uh, it actually won't necessarily make sense if I, until I take you back to the beginning. Um, there's so much stuff that I could share uh, about business models and what you guys need to know and what I've learned over the last few years um, of creating Mastered. Uh, obviously, we had um, Facebook up here earlier talking. Um, that's been an incredible... Uh, it's been incredible for us to work with Facebook over the last few years. It's been a really great acquisition channel. Again, thousands of different things I could think of saying, but I try to, I've tried to kind of distill it down to, like, what other things that I've learned that I think would be the most useful thing to pass on to you guys. And that's basically like three things. One, it's really important that you change, that you're willing to change and that you're willing to be adaptable. So uh, the business model that you have now may not be the business model that you have in five years' time. Um, I think a lot of people get swept up with like, oh, I'm going to make a like, five-year business plan. And then two minutes later, something in the world changes. Instagram happens, Snapchat happens, uh, Brexit happens, and it completely changes things. Um, and so I hope that a little kind of bit about our story um, helps you see that it's okay. It's not even that it's okay, it's essential. Uh, and then the second thing is that, again, it's, it's really beautiful how all this stuff and all these things are coming together, because I think what I'm saying is stuff that you guys have heard a lot of already, but like your heart, so your why, like your purpose, you can change your business model as much as you want, but your, your mission, your why, your purpose, if that doesn't change, then you keep this wonderful consistency and you always stay true to yourself and your business. So, um, rewind to three years ago. Uh, Mastered was an online fashion education company. So what we did is we taught um, short courses to professionals online. It was very simple. Um, you could uh, buy a course. You were basically buying about four hours worth of video content. Um, and that course was taught by an incredible person in the fashion industry. Um, and it cost about £100. Um, we had a year of doing that. It was very successful. We worked with some really great people from the 
editor of large at Elle magazine to uh, Piers Atkinson, a wonderful milliner. Um, and that was great. And we did that for about a year. But about 12 months on, we started to think, are we really like transforming people's lives by doing this? Are our courses doing what we wanted to do, which was to help creative people get the opportunities that they need to succeed? We are, but we could be doing a lot better. Uh, we also wanted, like, people weren't necessarily knocking down at the door to do that stuff. We had some, we had enough customers to be able to support us. But it wasn't like, you know, when you really want something, and you know when you just will desperately buy something, or you see a business that you really want to be involved with. We didn't feel like we had that. So, of course, we re-evaluated. And we went back to the heart of what we wanted to do, which was to help creative people have an incredible career uh, and use their creative skills. So... What we did is we kind of investigated how we could really help customers in a different way. So most education, most schools, most mentoring things, they focus on skills. Um, but actually, to be a creative person in the fashion industry, you need a hell of a lot more than skills to succeed. So we kind of analysed that you needed skills. Um, you need, so let's say you're a makeup artist, you need to, of course you need makeup skills. But also... Uh, you need a really good attitude. Um, you need to be the kind of person who's relentless and gutsy. You need to be a great collaborator. You need to be generous. So we thought we need to help people with that. You need a network. So, uh, again, you, you can't get jobs unless you've got collaborators. You can't get jobs unless someone's recommended you. Uh, you can't get jobs unless there's someone that you know who's willing to recommend you. And people say it's all about who you know, but it kind of is who you know. But that's okay because you can build relationships. And finally, you need exposure to those decision makers, the people who will hire you, people who will commission you. So basically, we went from a product that was one thing, which was teaching skills, to a product, a product which was doing four things. And in doing that, we basically invented a brand new product. So no longer were we a, a fashion education school. We were no longer just doing online courses. We're now calling ourselves a talent development company, and that's because we do talent development. Um, there was a bit of a middle incarnation where we ran programs suddenly that were no longer just available for anyone to buy. They were no longer just for uh, hours of video content. They were no longer uh, £100. Actually, in order for us to achieve those four things, skills, attitude, network and exposure, we needed to evolve the product and evolve the business model. Uh, and so what we did is we, we started a new type of course, which did all those things. It had video content, but it had feedback. You had mentors, you had training sessions, you had in-person stuff. And suddenly that product was £1,000. Um, and that's because we wanted to add value to those customers. And you know what? It was superb. because what And actually then we got that kind of amazing traction. Not only, of course, did we do what we wanted to do with the kind of our wonderful vision, which was to, to transform creative people's careers... Actually, we had people banging down the door. That's because we only we had really focused on what customers needed. We'd massively focused on customer value. But also, we were okay to go. What we did then wasn't right. What we're doing now was right. And again, we tested that for about a year. Similar kind of thing. Again, what were you saying? A lot of, lot of failure, a lot of learning. Really important. And now, our business model is completely different. Now, um, we did a similar thing after the... Uh, other courses around, we went, are we really transforming people's lives? Are we really, really giving customers everything that they want? Are we really um, kind of staying true to our mission? And actually, our new product is different again. And what we're doing is 10-month uh, courses. And it's not just online, it's in person as well. And it's not just video content. It is shit tons of feedback. And it's having wonderful people who are really going to mentor you through this. It's having an in-house coach. It's all these other things. And I think... Um, hopefully what you can see there is the three very clear different things. We started as an online fashion school. We've ended as a talent development company. That might sound like words, but it is a very different product. But what has not changed in any way 
is the heart of what we do. Um, and basically, I, I would just really think about the, the vision that you, you, all, you guys all kind of put together this morning and keep that at your heart. And don't worry if things change, because they will. Um, and that's kind of the nature of the way that the world works today, is that tomorrow, people can pretend they can say, we know what's happening tomorrow, but no one knows. So be ready to change, and hopefully you can see by... I think you're going to say a similar thing. It's basically be adaptable, be willing to change, um, and you'll be in the right places. Work. Work. Eight years ago, I co-founded Wool and the Gang. Um, I was 23, and I knew nothing about running a business. And then this year, we sold the business. Um, so I'm going to tell you about our story and what I learned, and hopefully you might learn something too. Well, in the gang is a, a DIY fashion brand. Uh, we're on a mission to sort of inspire a younger generation to get their knit on and make their own clothes again and uh, with our knit kits. So in a nutshell, we call it fashion in a kit. Um, I'll talk more about that in a minute. So it's a unique fashion experience that we've created. Um, when we started eight years ago, um, there was nothing on the market. If you went into a knit store, it was totally mushy peas and no patterns that were cool enough to knit. And so this is where we got the idea. We want to do something that's cool, fun, fast and easy. And so first of all, we spent a lot of time on the branding with the look and the feel of the product. And then we designed collections that you want to treasure and love and make forever. Basically, we just designed collections that were timeless and classic. And we've built our business um, mainly on social media um, because knitting is such a fun and feel-good activity. Our community naturally share their products online, so we get tons of selfie pictures every day going like, hey, I made this, so, which is really great for creating our brand awareness. Um, but behind all of this um, is my partnership with my co-founder, um, Aurelie Popper. Um, at the beginning, we were totally learning on the fly, and we both had creative backgrounds. But as time kind of went on, we started to discover our strengths between each other, like she became more business than retail with the best death stare in the world. And then I became more onto the marketing and digital side of things, creating the community. Um, so together, we really complemented each other, and we're a great partnership, like yin and yang. Basically, one big thing that was important to us as individuals was creating a business with soul. Um, we cemented our brand sustainable values, um, trying to find the balance between sustainability and business. And we did this by being dedicated to responsible sourcing and from, from day one. And this has really paid off and it's something that we're really paid off. This is really part of like our heart and soul of the business. Anyway, after four years of building the brand, uh, we wanted to take the brand to the next level. And our assets were our brand and our online community. And so we decided to get investors behind us. So we built a really aggressive business plan. Um, we were totally ballsy, like our financials look like this. We've <laughs> um, got to do that. Um, it took us about two months to perfect. And we spoke to so many people. We got like financial advisors on board to like, help us create the financial projections. And um, having that was totally key to like, making a solid plan. So when we started reevaluating our pitch, so we started with the kits, and then we wanted to kind of extend our business model. So we, we wanted to um, add to what we were already doing. And what our big idea is that we wanted to create a global um, network of knitters to make the finished pieces for our customers who didn't want to knit. So our customers would, uh, our knitters would buy our kits, make the finished pieces in their home, and then send it back to us, and we would sell it online. And so eventually the, the knitters became our workforce. 
Um, so this big idea got loads of traction, and eventually we raised a couple of million of pounds, million pounds. <laughs> Woo! Which was great. Um, but before we actually got the money in the bank, um, we had to build a team that would be 100% committed behind us to drive um, and join this this crazy roller coaster of running a business. Um, so we, what was really important was building um, a team that had skills that we didn't have. So, for example, we got an amazing CEO on board um, to drive the business, a CTO to build our website, a design director to kind of keep the sort of the essence of the really strong branding alive. Um, and all of these people are amazing, and it's the reason why Wood and the Gang is here today. And so three years later, um, after working our asses off and trying so many different things, failing at things, learning things, we established our business and sold the business this summer, which was out of the blue. <laughs> and so great. Um, but what's interesting through that whole experience, kind of similar to what Perry was saying, that our ambition of creating this idea of this global network of um, network, <laughs> network, network of knitters, it didn't actually scale as we hoped. And so as a result, we had to actually strip back our business model and focus on the kits because that's what was driving the growth. And so we did. And yeah, my advice here is just to be totally flexible while you're creating your business model. Um, it's going to take you a while to find your winning ingredient, but you definitely will. Um, don't be disheartened along the way. Um, I think this pretty much sums up what it's like running a, running a business. Um, and I think if you visualize what you want, like you will, like if you start like from the beginning, you will 100% get that. But it will be like this <laughs> in a spiral. <laughs> so that's me. Work. Hi everyone, I'm super happy to be here. Um, as, as already said, I, I am a bit on the funding side. I select and identify the companies that come into the accelerator, so I get a lot of pitches um, every day, at least five in person, and see a lot of pitch decks. I haven't started my own business, unfortunately, yet, but I think I got an idea from there already what, what works and what doesn't work and what we look for, usually, if someone pitches to us, and I'm trying to sum that up a bit um, in a couple of slides. So when, when we get founders coming in and they try to quickly explain to us what they do, we get a lot of buzzwords because I think the problem is that the word business model, to explain a business model, is really, really complex, has a lot of components. And so we get a lot of like, oh, we're, we're SaaS, so software as a service, we're, we're pay-as-you-go, we're on-demand, um, freemium, and, and also these Airbnbs for, Uber for. First of all, I mean, you use those words to maybe make it clear what you, what you do, but do stay away from those Uber for, Airbnb for, that doesn't, doesn't attract anyone because you don't want to be just another business model in a different market, but you want to build something by yourself, right? And that's the first mistake that a lot of people make. You can use stuff like SIS and stuff like that. That helps, but, but be clear and then, then go further deep into what you actually do and try to explain it much, much clearer. Um, for me, my, for me myself, I, I try to look into a business model as like, what do you actually do? What is your value that you add, your value proposition? What problem do you solve? To whom? How? And how do you get value out of that again for yourself? So how do you 
as we said, you make money. How do you make money is for an investor really important. But there's also other stuff that is important sometimes for businesses. So some businesses have a really social impact. So it might not be money that is like the sole purpose, but also creating that impact. Or other businesses might rather go towards um, creating a great user base and then selling this user base and this data to someone like Facebook or Google. So it's not only always about money, but money is a big part. And yeah, to sum that up, I tried to come up with this little the little thing that basically is the business canvas model, but in a bit smaller. Um, so again, the value proposition is you should have that really, really clear. That's your product, but that's only where it starts. You want to think about who are the, who are the people you're selling to? Um, who could get value from that? And make sure that, especially if you're an early stage business, that you define that to the investor really clearly, that he sees you thought about it, you did your research, you know who your customers could be. And then also, if you, wanna, if you know that, you can only define this. Because if you don't know whom you're selling to, you cannot know how do you get to those people. Also, again, the Facebook targeting. How do you communicate with those people if you don't know who it is? Very young people might be rather on Snapchat, actually, these days than on Facebook already. So that's things you have to consider. And if you talk to the investor through your business model, you have to make sure that you explain, that you think about this business canvas again back in your head and think about what might be relevant to him, what do I have to make clear, and really pitch that right without him asking. So of course we get in, into a conversation, we ask stuff back, but it's good if you from yourself show that you've thought about it and that you, thought, that you actually understand that there's a lot of components to it and it's not as easy as it sounds. So when I look at the business model, there's two things that I really look for, and that's that it makes sense. So as, again, those, those parts really impact each other, um, the way you, you cater to the customer impacts how your products look like, how impacts how you're going to scale it. That's also a really important factor. So scalability is something that investors always look for. And as we heard, that sometimes involves even to, to scale down on your actual product or on your market or on your customers and to then be able to sell to more people in the, in the target group, and also to be distinct. And that's why, again, don't be just another, another business model in another market or another product, but try to really get a competitive advantage out of your business model. And that could be anything. That could be, that, for instance, let's say, if you think about key partnerships in the, in the canvas, that could be that you're from, if you're in a beauty business and you're, you come from that background, then mention that. Mention that you know a lot of people in the beauty industry. You have the context, you have the network. That is already a competitive advantage. If you think about, for instance, um, looking at, at the channels, maybe you have a specific access to the market that someone else doesn't have. That can also be a really great competitive advantage. So it's these things and really try to leverage your, your resources and map them out clearly. And again, it's really important to know that a business model is not always fixed from the beginning, but you just want to show the investor that you thought about it and that you're smart enough. So that's your first point where you prove, basically, apart from you have this great product and everyone believes in it, but how do you actually translate this idea that you have into an actual business? And you can prove that already there. And that's what we basically look for. And it should be really, really distinct. You have to define this one thing that makes you different than all the other apps out there, all the other, other beauty businesses, and how the investor basically then can make money with it and also route to exit. And I think if you, if you get that right, that already helps a lot. And one more thing I want to say. Um, every, every team in the beginning has pain points, has things that, have, that they haven't worked out yet perfectly. Be honest about it. Just to mention, okay, we have, we have access to the market, we have a great team, we have a good value proposition, but we don't know how to find the right partners to make that happen. Just be honest, and it's going to be, be a good pitch. If you want to know more, I'm also around now, so yeah. 
Happy, happy day still. Thanks. Work. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.